I was eight years old and my mom sat me down on my, on my bed. She held my hand. It was, she was being very, very serious. And she wanted to talk to me about sex stuff. And at this age, she'd already had the birds and the bees talk with me a few times. But this was different. She's talking to me about adults touching me inappropriately. And she had some suspects. She's asking me these very, I'm squirming right now talking about it, questions about my Boy Scout leader, about my Little League coach, and about my babysitter. She's asking if they've touched me in places and done things to me. And she's reassuring me it's okay for me to talk about it. But none of them had. Fast forward to today. My mother is uh, a special person. She loves kids. She was a public school teacher for 25 years and then used that experience to become a special kind of tutor that helps kids who are dyslexic and with ADHD, with severe ADHD. She takes kids who can't read, failing elementary school, and puts them on the honor roll. I think she has something called Helper's High. And what Helper's High is, is when you think you are protecting children or anybody from evil and from dangers. She's an advocate for the kids with their school. And heaven help us if a kid doesn't get a fair shake or well represented at school. She's willing to march down, protest in the principal's office of any of her students who aren't treated fairly because of their disability. But helpers high can be dangerous. The people think they're helping someone. They feel like people are being abused who aren't. They care so much that it clouds their judgment. And people can be wrongly accused and even convicted of horrible sex crimes that they never, ever did. Did you ever hear about the uh, Satanic Panic? Satanic Panic? No, what's that? That was the event um, like in the 80s when everybody thought that like groups of people were becoming Satan worshippers. And the, there was parts of it that bled over into like games, like people playing Dungeons and Dragons got accused of like worshipping Satan because they were playing games that involved magic and things like that. I do remember that because being a you know a kid in the eighties of the music, they used to say like Ozzy Osbourne, ACDC. If you play their music backwards, it's satanic and exactly very gothic kind of kids. Or like, yeah, it seems very silly now, but that was like a real public safety concern, <laughs> right? And then there's also like the rash of um, th- there was a period of time where uh, psychologists were doing regressed memory therapy where they were putting people on couches and telling them that, you know, if we dig deep enough, we can find memories of abuse and we can find memories of, you know, things that you have repressed or suppressed. And, you know, we just have to, like, spend enough time trying to crack your chestnut of a brain open. And they would bring things out of people, like events of of molestation and abuse and horrifying things. And they would, you know, the, the psychologist would take them to court and champion them. They they would you know show up with these statements by their clients, and say, "Hey, my my client was abused." And what they found was that you know oftentimes the reported abuse was completely and totally fabricated, not out of malice. The psychologists weren't getting really anything out of this. Neither were their clients. They both just firmly believed, like like strongly that there was something there, that there was some, you know, something had to be causing these people's trauma. 
and turns out that they were just helping them a bit too far. They were helping them all the way to the courtroom, and they were accusing, like, fathers of molesting their children and stuff. And there was one case of cannibalism. Like, like somebody accused their father of cannibalism as an adult and come to find out, like, everything about the events that they claimed did not match up. And it was just the human brain is so, so good at inventing stories to justify things that we can fully make up a narrative that we feel is true if we have help from, like, a professional. Well, that's dead on, and I haven't seen that psychologist about this. this is something I've only, I haven't talked about until today with my mother. Um, but I, what I think she was doing was she was justifying my um, bad behavior as a child. She's thinking, this kid, the way he's acting, must have been molested or something. Okay. You know? I think it's really that simple. I think uh, it's, you know? Yeah. It it turns out the the boring answer is that everybody needs help. You don't have to have been through trauma. Everyone should at some point see a psychologist because it is more of like moral or mental hygiene. Like, it's it's less about you know, you have to have gone through trauma or a horrendous experience or you have to be truly messed up to see a shrink, you really just should go at some point for, you know, a couple of years because they will help you sort of tune your antenna socially and and help you sort of, like, figure things out for yourself. They, they, they're more like a maturity assistant than they are, you know, a fixer of your mind. But, yeah, let's let's... I, I I'm digging on the idea of helpers high. Um, so we're, does your mother have the thing where like, because you and I have worked in like uh, volunteer organizations, both of us, and even the speakers group we're in is a volunteer organization. I meet these people. Let, let's, let's go to like the quintessential helpers high person. I meet these hipsters who are in their like fifties who are like affluent. They're like, they, you know, they're the, the, they have a lofty title from some business. They're dressed well. They have sparkling white teeth. And they will not shut up about, like, the villages they've helped build in, like, Uganda. <laughs> or, like, the or they talk borders about with they, doctors. Borders with yeah. doctors. And they just, yeah, they're just, yeah. They're like, I, I taught, yeah, poor, underprivileged children in Appalachia kind of people. You're saying this with a condescending, sarcastic tone. Like, I can actually see you rolling your eyes here in this <laughs> How dare people help each other. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Makes you uncomfortable, doesn't? <laughs> but they but they try to get you involved in stuff too. It's it's like they're like, "Hey, um I'm volunteering at 17 different soup kitchens this Thanksgiving. What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm a writer. I'm always busy." <laughs> but yeah. so Yeah, that's uh no, I know what you mean, but I I'm thinking about that person. You know, I volunteered at a food bank and and for many, many years. There's always this one person in any kind of church organization or anything that's like the super volunteer. Yeah, like they they they're they're independently, you know, financially they're they're not. I mean, they be wealthy, but they're set. They don't have a lot of bills, and they they just turn their life over to this charity. It's not a, like a someone to start, you know, a few hours a week, and the next thing you know, they're doing eighty hours a week, right? And they're recruiting other people. They they take it very seriously, and they just it becomes who they are. It's it's their outlet, like. Some people are sports people. Some people are like uh, gaming people. Some people are helper people. Like, like it becomes one of the four major parts of their life. Like the quartiles. They they sleep. They go to work, and they help other people. And I was at, well, I was at the food bank, and I'm talking to this young woman, and and uh, that's a pain in the ass work at the food bank. You you're dealing with people who are in the throes of addiction and are not at their best, and sometimes they're mean to you and. There's there's conflict with other volunteers. You know, there's always egos involved when there's volunteerism. You know, my job and this. And I told this young woman, I go, why do we keep doing this to ourselves every week? And she says, because we don't want to lose our status. We've we've got more responsibilities. We've got a title here. We've got a job. And I'm like, this high school kid was dead on. You get kind of promoted because you you know you show up all the time and they can trust you. And you don't right. want to give that up to somebody else. <laughs> it's a it's a real status. And there's status in me, like right now talking about it, saying, oh, I worked at this volunteer. I'm already thinking that I'm better than Joe over here. <laughs> it is so weird you say that. That is dead on. Like, okay, so two of the organizations that I not tour, I did not volunteer for them. I went to assist them a couple of times. 
One was um, the Portland Suicide Hotline, uh, Lines for Life. I toured there, and I, I knew the um, the chief operations manager. And I applied there, and I met a bunch of people because it's just part of the process of getting to know everyone. And they have, like, here are our hot shots that are in, like, the main room, and they take the most risky calls, and here are the people who, like, these are the, the youth organizers. And, like, like it, there, it, there is a hierarchy. Same thing with the, um, uh, there's a women's prison uh, for public speaking I went to, uh, Coffee Creek, and they they had something similar. Like, here's the volunteer who, you know, yeah. handles everything as far as, like, here's all the binders and stuff we can't let the prisoners hang on to because they have metal parts in them, but only this organizer gets to handle this and, and meet with the warden and do all these things. And it's like, well, there is there is definitely a hierarchy, which is strange. Like, you'd think... Helping another human would be as simple as, like, you walk up to somebody, you say, hey, you need some help. Okay, so which of these types was your mother? Is she mostly, like, she's trying to find where the problem is to, like, you know, spray it with weed killer? Or is she, like, does she actually get the helpers high? Like, is she out helping people because it it makes her feel good to feel good? Well, you know, I was driving around with her not that long ago and I asked how long because she's talking about Sunday school stuff the woman's taught Sunday school for as long as I can remember and I said how how many years you've been teaching Sunday school and by teaching Sunday school in a small church she's involved in you do a lot I mean you you give a little mini sermon you clean up you do snacks you do that I mean it, it, it's a full-time you got to prepare you got to have a schedule of other um, you got to have a schedule of other volunteers to be there to help with the kiddos and who's going to be there she said 45 years, Joe, she's been doing this. So I, I think she's in... So, I, and, and I don't mean 45 years off and on. I mean every Sunday for 45 years. Right. <laughs> so that kind of consistency of helping people is is admirable, I, I, I think, right? I think it's become who you are. I don't think she gets a high like we do. I think I think it might be more of a um, just a purpose and an identity... Um, it's just it's just her who her identity is, right? Clearly, she enjoys something of it. Like you and I have learned from processed learning, you have to have enjoyment in what you're doing in in the process itself. You got to, and and you're around people who are doing things after work, and that's a group of people I love to be around. It's a great place to meet people because these aren't people, Joe, that are just saying, "Oh, this is something I, I've done that I did that before." It's something that you do every day. And that's something I respect about you is when you go in on something, this son of a bitch, Joe won't give up. He can get kicked in the teeth for 10 years and he'll just keep showing up and helping people. And <laughs> You're explaining feels... my riding experience in a nutshell, but go ahead. <laughs> it's very fun to help people. It's fun to be part of a charity. It's fun to be part of a, a do-good gang, right? And you do get, when you leave a volunteer thing, you feel good. It validates to me, I feel like I'm a good person. So can we talk about the primitive side of that? Like why it feels good to help other people? Is this, is this wired into our DNA? Yep, we're getting into, unfortunately, the, the repetitive part of this pro- the podcast is I, wa- I always want to go to primitive man, DNA, why do we have this function in us? And why is it helping us? Like is it, I mean, because... There's the cynic in me that is like, these people are doing it just because they have a lot of resources and they need to feel like they're still connected to humanity. So they're like, oh, you poor person who is hungry. You know, I haven't missed a meal in years, but I'll, I'll reach down and help you because it makes me look and feel better. Um, that's the absolute cynic in me. However, there is a function in our brain that actually makes us feel high. Like, like you say the word helpers high. I think people might have glossed over that in their minds. Like they might have heard that phrase and it might just be like, oh yeah, that's just, you know, a, a buzzword, a jingle. But it. No, I can, uh, I can see it, Joe. Like in, with church stuff, I, I can see these young people who are in the, in the ministry and stuff. Yeah. The way they walk. You could tell. They're like buzzed. <laughs> yeah. They're genuinely joyful. They have joy in their face and their life. And it's because they're doing what they love and they're helping people. And it shows it shows in their mannerisms. So let's 
let's take those people like we're going to take everybody who worked at the soup kitchen with you and we're going to like grab them into our time machine and rewind back to caveman days um those same people who are helping people in a soup kitchen now in you know uh, um ancient man's era in the cave they are the same people who are coming back with like a basket of fruit to give to the people who are too sick to hunt I shit you not, this goes back that far, and it is wired so hard into us. Fruit baskets are that old, huh? That was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, baskets generally. <laughs> but <clears throat> No, not, not baskets, but like the, the helper's high. Like it is, it is not a new trendy invention to make hipsters feel like their lives are full. It is actually like, okay, so in the brain, let's, let's talk first um, the high, and let's talk mirror neurons. So... When somebody gets helpers high, the chemicals in play are oxytocin, serotonin, and dopamine. So, like, those are the trifecta for feeling connected and love. Oxytocin is the love drug. Dopamine is the reward drug. Like, that's that's what you get for, you know, drinking water or taking, you know, uh, serious drugs, whatever. Like, it, it's what your brain gives you for, like, getting... It's the reward system, basically. You, you get dopamine for like drinking water and eating food and like doing basic necessities you you always get a very tiny amount for doing so when somebody looks like they are on a high because they are helping people they're literally getting the hormones that would make you high so it's 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 a real thing like <laughs> they they might as well have actually taken drugs if they are getting that much out of helping other people. So on the list of needs that humanity is wired to need, it's you need food, you need water, and you need to help people, which is blows right past my cynicism. Like it it it's a fundamental need of humans to connect with each other and to help each other. You know what this kind of jots my memory i'm thinking about aa and na you know alcohols anonymous and narcotics anonymous isn't that part of the program is that you have to help other people get clean and you try to turn your life over to that cause whoever comes through the door who's the most beat down in the worst spot it's your job now or your 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 responsibility and it helps keeps you clean and sober if you help them get clean and sober Right. It It's almost like, I mean, to harken back to older episodes, we talk about value journaling where like you every day, if you spend 15 minutes writing about your own values, it reminds you of those values and you go through your day acting on them. That kind of helping does the same thing. If you help somebody, you know, learn something or, or stay diligent to something you want as well. It's reminding you of those values for 30 minutes a day, an hour a day, however long you're doing it. So it, it makes perfect sense to me. And on the top of that, you also get helpers high. Um, okay, have you heard of something called mirror neurons? Mirror neurons, no. So a neuron in the brain is basically just, uh, uh, it relays electrical signals, holds information. Neurons are basically the parts of our gray matter that do the thinking. A mirror, a mirror neuron is a type of brain cell that reacts when somebody else does something. So if we were just self-focused in, in our brains, like if our brains were built to just care about ourselves, a regular neuron would just be like, oh, you ate food? Here's some dopamine. Oh, you feel bad? You know, here's, here's cortisol. Like, like whatever you are going through, you would go through it alone. A mirror neuron is something that reacts when you see somebody else going through it. If a, somebody else yawns and you yawn, that is a mirror neuron doing that. You didn't need to yawn. You didn't even feel tired. It's a mirror neuron sparking and saying, oh yeah, sure, let's yawn too. Uh, when you watch football and somebody makes a good play and you get excited, like you, you're not on the field. You shouldn't feel excited. That has nothing to do with you. But a mirror neuron in your brain is like sparking it's like yeah we're running that like like it's it's an interesting <laughs> fluke of humanity it's true and though. they're all over it's the a, brain it's a yeah. genuine it's a genuine joy <laughs> yeah you, it, you, it yeah. puts you into other people's positions that's interesting so sure. yeah we we the mirror neuron sparks when it sees something that is you know that, that is like us like like we relate to somebody's activity 
we relate to somebody hungry. We relate to somebody who is in the throes of addiction. We relate to somebody doing good. We relate to them doing bad because our mirror neurons are sparking and showing us what that would feel like to be in their position. And then when we help them, we see the result. We see them being happier. We, re- we see them getting what they need. We see them succeeding. We see somebody passing a ball. And those mirror neurons spark, and we get dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. So, like, we're, we're you know, front to back, our brains are set up to help each other and live each other's experiences. And if if you have managed to close that off, we've, we've done episodes, so many, about, like, how wealth calluses you, how you can close yourself off if you manage to physically isolate yourself, both with money and with time. It just takes these mirror neurons and these chemicals doing their work for like less than a minute. Um, Paul Piff, his TED talk about, you know, the Monopoly game, he he had a follow-up study where, you know, if you have these wealthy, calloused people who have managed to like distance themselves from the needs of others for so long, it takes less than a minute to reconnect them. And all they have to do is start helping somebody who is less fortunate than themselves in a direct way. When they interface with somebody like a, a you know a Steve Jobs, who hasn't actually interacted with a poor person for a while, <laughs> you you take them and then put them in a uh, in a food bank and they ladle out soup. It's so corny, but it takes approximately a minute for your brain to start sparking those neurons, and then suddenly you're connected again. Like you forget to be calloused. Years of callousing uh, for being wealthy, and you you spark those neurons, and then it comes back. Isn't that crazy? That's how powerful it is. That's how hardwired it is. Absolutely. <clears throat> Have you heard of this woman named Joyce Gilchrist? Uh-uh. Who's that? She was a scientist out of, in Houston, Texas, and for, that's that's where she lived out of but she she moved and worked out of the oklahoma city police department and she was the scientist that did all the dna testing um and she had her finger on about three thousand cases she did this for 21 years and she had the nickname of black magic because she was able to get evidence and get people convicted she was an absolute hired gun to um to to explain dna evidence to juries and persuade them to have people sentenced to death. So she's like the real life CSI. Like she's up there with 3D graphs and like <laughs> showing people where the fibers were and like zooming in and shit. Exactly. And then going and seeing it all the way through. You know, these people make a lot of money when they're hired guns to, you know, these these defense attorneys and prosecutors will they pay good money for a, a good scientist. And everyone, the police department for years, she was a hero because she put so many people away. It turned out that she was very, very corrupt. It turned out that she, a lot of these people, over 12 who were executed, it came out later that they were, the evidence was was tampered with. It wasn't correct. So she killed 12 innocent people. And I think this is a case of severe, extreme helper's eye. That is crazy. Did Was that why she was doing it? Like she she said like she was just trying to convict them because she didn't like them? Like what was happening? There's, it's, it's just too long. If you think about 3,000 criminal cases over 21 years that she touched, I don't know if she was addicted to the fame. The interviews I saw with her, she was in no way apologetic of any of her mistakes. Um, when she got dismissed, I mean, I think she's been brought up on serial killer charges. Her attitude was like she'd been, she said that she was being fired, not because she killed 12 innocent people, but because of a sexual um, harassment thing, a retaliation for that. I'm like, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't know if this woman is just a sociopath, nar- narcissistic sociopath. Um, and she never had any criminal charges. She got dismissed and ended up dying kind of young in her, I think it was her fifties, her, her um, from cancer, but unapologetic at the end, Joe. I have heard cases about 
um, mercy nurses and mercy doctors who will kill patients. And I have I have heard cases of people who will tamper with evidence. This woman sounds to me like a nut job. A, a, an outside observer, it sounds crazy. A very educa- a very educated, educated, intelligent nut job. Yeah, I am starting to wonder. Like, maybe these people are doing it because they feel like the person they're tampering with deserves it. Like, maybe of those twelve cases, she actually believed they had done the crime. And was like, well, I'm just going to push the evidence further to make sure the jury knows. Like, to, to make sure, you know, they get what they deserve. Even though it is bunk. Like, even though she is making it up. You had an interesting one for me when we were prepping for this show that I, you know, Joe's a hell of a, a researcher. But talking about who, what, who this woman who is world-renowned. You know, Einstein is known almost as a cliche for intelligence. This woman is known for helping people. Tell me who, we're, who I'm talking about, Joe. Um, we talk about Helpers High. We can't actually discuss helping other people without mentioning Mother Teresa. Um, what's, a, what's the fun fact you told me about <laughs> Mother Teresa that I don't think most people will know? What was her mentality towards poor? <laughs> she would tell people things that sounded like they were um, sympathetic about suffering. Um, there was, there was a video where she told a cancer patient that, you know, pain means Jesus is near you and that suffering is, um, is being part of, you know, part of being godly, part of life. Now that sounds rational, insane to me. Like that just sounds like something that you would tell somebody who's going through a great amount of pain, but there's so many quotes, like, um, there's a cracked writer who basically pointed out that like, no, if you if you actually read what she said and what she wrote, she thought that, you know, there's something... Okay, here's another direct quote. There is something beautiful in seeing the poor accept their lot and to suffer it. <laughs> she was helping people in poverty all the time, but she apparently believed that poor people, it was their lot to suffer and that, like, their incarnation here was like, like it was godly for them to go through what they're going through as someone who has read a lot about <laughs> socioeconomics i think that is the worst mentality humanly possible now it's old catholic guilt at its best right <laughs> it it is that is there's the, that's where i'm coming from like i i know from us doing these studies from our podcast from everything that if you take a poor person you raise them with, you know, uh, wealth and opportunity, and you give them especially education and housing. Those are the two things where, if you have those, you change a person fully. Like, like that's that's not me speculating. That's not some Jimmy Stewart. It's a wonderful life bullshit. You give them a place to live and an education. They are statistically much much higher to grow up and to be in the upper class. Period. The end. And Mother Teresa. God bless her for doing the work she did. I mean, like, she really actually did help so, so many people. She deserved the credit she got, but the mentality of, you know, poor people deserve their suffering (laughs) because that's what God has doled to them. That is the most corrupt way of taking helpers high and twisting it badly. Like, it's, it's, I, I can't think of a worse mindset for that. That's so funny, and but I I know people and Mother Teresa. I'm, I'm we're gonna take her out of this. We don't want to get shot down by lightning here. We got to be careful. You know what I mean? We can't start start shitting on saints. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I come from an Irish Catholic family. If lightning was gonna hit me, it would have. <laughs> well, there's you know status talking about status, and um, I noticed too. And in, in my my volunteerism has been in three places. It's been in church, um, very involved in in that. The food bank, soup kitchen, we t- I talked about, and then the Humane Society. But I noticed that about half of the volunteers usually have a arrogance about them. And when I say that, sometimes they have attitude towards whoever they're helping. Um, and, and yeah. In the Humane Society, it was never towards the animals. They're animal lovers. But they get kind of snooty towards the people adopting and almost like they think they're better. And, and then people in the food bank are, are just rude to people. You know, it's, they yell at them and they, they snap at them and they're not this, you know, sweet, nurturing, loving, let me help you, brother. Jesus like, no, 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 <laughs> they do it, but they do it with a, with a friggin' attitude. 
Right. They can get the high without actually being nice to the person. Like this. <laughs> I mean, that's. I, Don't uh, you, you think that the, would be a prerequisite? Don't you think that'd be a prerequisite, though, to be nice? That you'd have to be a decent person <laughs> yeah. to get that high? No, it's built into us. Like, we. You don't have to be a decent person to get high from drugs or from alcohol. You don't have to be a decent person to get high from helping each other. You just have to do it and see the result. Like the mirror neuron spark when you see somebody getting help. It doesn't spark because you're nice. <laughs> I Okay, so animal shelter kind of triggered me a bit. I adopted a cat who was a week away from being euthanized because he had a respiratory infection. And the person up front grilled me about my living situation, which, okay, I'm good with that. I'm good with checking to make sure that animals are going to homes and aren't going to put them into puppy mills or, or make them fight each other. But then they were, like, after I told them where I lived, established where it was, showed them, paper, like, like bills to show that I lived there, like I was going to the DMV. Then they told me they'd come to the house and check up on his living situation. And I was like, you, you literally are going to gas this cat in a week. Yeah. Like you, you have, you're going to come show up at my house and make sure he's, he's not living in another gas chamber. Like, I don't, I don't get it, but yeah. And they, yeah, and they help, mean, helper they, side does not mean they nice mean well, tie. they're trying to help the animal, you know, they're trying to do it and they have been a little bit, maybe a little bit calloused by. You know, I know at the animal shelters, horrible things happen. People take get have litters of puppies and kittens and just dump them on the. You know what I mean? And don't ever get their animals fixed, and and that gets stressful for the. But they forget that that's not everybody. You know. Yeah. That actually could basically be the summary for our entire podcast: is all of these helpers see the worst that people are going through. If you work in an animal shelter, you see horrible abuse. If you work in, you know, a, a soup kitchen, you see people at their most needy. You, you work in crime investigation, you start thinking everyone's a criminal because you see so much crime. I think that if you are doing help to get helpers high, you have to be aware of the other side of that sword, the double edge, which is you may start associating people with, you know, that low status. Whatever you are helping, you might start seeing everybody as that thing. I had uh, I had this experience at the food bank, and, I, and again, I worked there for six years. I came there first because I was having tough times. I was homeless, homeless myself, having some serious addiction issues, and I was humiliated that I had to go to a year before that. I made a hundred thousand dollar a year, had a wife, a house, cars, everything, and I had pretty much nothing. And I was embarrassed, humiliated that I had to go and get food. But I found out that if I volunteered, I could get food and I could be a volunteer. To me, that was, which is weird because I would never judge anyone else for doing that. Um, but years into doing it, and I started, I did it every Thursday night and every Saturday morning for, for over six and a half years. And this woman came up to me, this African-American woman, and she said, I want to apologize to you. And I, and I didn't know who she was. And I said, well, I think you have a mistake with someone else. She said, no, I came in here. Um, about two years ago, and I was rude to you, and, that, and then I thought I just, again. I was just I was annoyed with her because she wasn't talking about me, and then it just clicked, Joe. I did remember her, but I didn't recognize her because when I'd seen her before, she was so dirty, and angry, and nasty. She changed, she'd done a one eighty in her life, and she looked amazing to the point I didn't recognize her. It was a traumatic thing for me getting yelled at and screamed at <laughs> so it wasn't like it was a memorable day it was a bad day but and i thought oh that's a miracle you know to, to see someone and of course i had not, not much to do with it but i was at least kind to her when she was down and at her worst yeah seeing that is i think <laughs> i mean that's like the the reward you actually want from helpers high isn't it like it's helpers high you can trigger it by doing stuff that people don't actually need help with. You can donate coats to people in warm weather. You can try to, you know, uh, what was it? There's a, there's a classic one of like people go over and build houses for other countries come to find out they don't need our style of house. Like, the, like we go over and build, you know, plaster and wood houses for people who live in hot countries who need stone houses. But you got to see somebody who, needed the exact kind of help you gave them they were not at their best they didn't act at their best and then you got to see them reverse that that is hopefully what helpers high actually gives you is you get to see a real significant change in somebody 
Um, so I was wondering if you wanted to talk about, uh, we'll, we'll call it the McDonald's of Helpers High. It's um, donating to donation centers and you know dropping things into donation bins and organizations that should be helping people. And just talking about where they sort of bleed out into helping their CEOs and their people a little bit too much. Like, <laughs> how much actually goes back to the, the organization? I was wondering about that. Like, when I go to PetSmart and they say, help and adopt a pet, of course you're going to push that button. Right, exactly. You, you can't help the $1, $5, $10, you got to push it, you know. So in in but I always wondered if if it's if it's if it's just more revenue for like tips at Starbucks or if it's actually goes to <laughs> right how much it cripples down of a do- of a dollar I know it's not ninety cents either but is it even a penny is it ten cents what 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 out of a dollar goes to that charity to help actually help somebody or something well we're we're gonna set up a baseline here how much the charity generally should be taking in like how much they should be paying for their administration and overhead and how much should be going back to the people. And, um, or if the, or if the CEO, the CEO of these helper organizations makes $6 million a year plus. Oh, oh, we're getting to that. That's, <laughs> that is part of my, my <laughs> research. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll start at the most sort of like easy fundamental level. Um, there was an episode of stuff you should know where the hosts on that talked about, you know, what organizations do and don't need your money as far as um, the cashier dollar donations. So you've you've done this where you'll be at the grocery store and you're going through the line and the you know, you you get all of your stuff done, like you you buy your cabbage, your um, beer, your potatoes uh, or whatever, uh, everything else you get. What the f- kind of grocery list is that? <laughs> uh, Irish stew. <laughs> uh Okay. Okay. Well. Okay. Let's say that you're you're getting your protein shakes and your your energy drinks. Um, at the end of it, when the cashier says, uh, "Would you like to round up for?" and then they say some organization, some uh, needy charity, or if you're in McDonald's or or Wendy's or something, and they say, "Would you like to donate a dollar toward you know uh, helping animals, toys for tots, uh, cancer research, what have you?" Um, there is a common understanding in the world of like research that some medical problems are overfunded and some are underfunded. The most glamorous and flashy types of um, cancer, the ones that are like highly, um, uh, let's say, easily marketable, those get way more money. I think like breast breast cancer is the first one that popped up into my head. Because you see all these fundraisers and these pink shirts and yeah, breast cancer is on there. Pediatric cancer, leukemia, lymphoma, um, in order. Like like, breast cancer gets about five hundred million. Leukemia gets about two hundred million. Pediatric cancers get about two hundred million. Is it because they're so common that it it touches everyone's life because they know someone that has it, so they feel like they should give, or is it just it's just? Well, it's it's both common and also it's like I said, it's it's easy. To market like um like like it's something where it's it's uh, it has good organization behind it it's it's something where you say it out loud and people feel a gut reaction they're mirror neurons fire when you say pediatric yeah, cancer it's like kids like when you go on youtube and you see videos of bald kids who are you know asking for donations it is very easy to dig into your wallet but if you look at like cervical cancer for example it only gets 5.4 million. That is a tiny fraction of what those other ones I just mentioned, and it's just as deadly. Um, liver tumors, prost- prostate. Yeah, prostate, prostate cancer. Too, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Liver tumors. They, Isn't that they crazy? get 5.8 million. Like they they get again just an absolute fraction. Like like compare 200 million to 5 million. Um, well, you forget too, Joe, that 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 you know diseases and stuff is a business, right? It is money coming in, and then it employs people trying to find cures, and then people with treatments, and it's it's a big business too. Right, it, it is. That's that's what we're getting to. Is some of these are are run by organizations, and some of those organizations, despite having tax exemptions, they run like corporations. Um, cancers with no specific profit organization, and this is for rooters, are um, kidney, bladder, gastric, and esophageal. Those are all just as deadly. 
you're as likely to have cancer in those regions. But by and large, it's it's depends on how much tissue is there in the body, basically. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where every time you're standing in line and they you hear the word cancer or you hear the word di- donation or you hear the word chil- the word children you automatically reach for your wallet i always hit the yes button on the dial but you know that little flash of feel good for that you should also consider maybe save all that for taxes at the end of the year and then look up a cancer that really needs help or or you know wait and see something that doesn't have an advocacy program and just go out and do it yourself you know save that all for the end of the year if you want to um, it also makes you look like a monster, by the way. Like it, it, one of my first dates with my fiance was we were at a store. I did not press the yes button on something that I know gets way more funding than they actually need. And I tried to explain after I was like, no, no, I do an end of the year donation. It exceeds what I would normally actually give out in $1 donations at markets. I, I do it to funds that don't get enough. And like, I sound crazier and crazier the more I talk. I sound like I'm I'm justifying just, uh, it. And I was like, just, no, no, I'll show you my taxes. I will show you the donation. <laughs> so, yeah. You're, you're just a total jerk. You're just a total jerk. If I was if I was standing live behind you, I'd say, what a dick. <laughs> what a j- <laughs> it's, it's me being Daniel Dancer again. It's me being as frugal as possible. Yeah. No, no, it's, it is true. All this stuff, we're going we're gonna to link off to this stuff. But, um. Yeah, if, if you're if you're donating, make your donation thoughtful. It, it's it really also comes down to time. Like you want to feel the kick of dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin when you donate to something or someone. But it's much easier if somebody's asking you in that moment. If March of Dimes comes to you and says, "Please put money in this box," it is more. Uh, it, it saves you thought and it saves you time to just do it. Whereas looking into like I said, those cancers that get no funding whatsoever, uh, that takes time and effort. You got to go find where to throw that money, and and that is you know not normal for somebody to go seek out in their day to day. So that's why I do it once at the end of the year. Well, I'm reminded of um, the the Carnegie Rockefeller. Um, they had kind of a duel, you know. They they were the richest men in the world in their heyday when when they were coming up. And they they were comp- competed against each other, um, who could make the most money before they died. But towards the end of their life, they had a storybook value change. Both of them, they got competitive, Joe, on who could give away the most money. Right, building libraries and music halls and, and things. And they were cutthroat. They were cutthroat. I mean, the, the, it was said back in those you know the industrial part of this country. That there, none of the workers in any of their factories had any gray hair on their head because it was such, so such a dangerous places to work. So it wasn't that they were saints, but that that they wanted to give away the must, and they got as much pleasure out of giving away millions and billions of dollars as as they did making it. I think that's crazy. Yeah, they they learned that helpers high. <laughs> it makes sense from what you're telling me. The science. Yeah, totally. I mean, imagine getting that uh, dopamine kick of giving $1 back to, you know, children's leukemia, but you do that every day in vast sums of money. <laughs> like, you, you give out 500000 or a million dollars a day. I could just see, Rockef- I could see Rockefeller reading the morning paper and seeing that Carnegie built another library and goes, mother. <laughs> <laughs> right. You piece of shit. <laughs> Storms down the hall and he's like, we need to build. <laughs> We're doing a hospital next. So let's talk about organizations that people donate to every day, probably more frequently than the, the dollar donations. When I have old clothes and old stuff around my house, I don't yard sale them usually because that takes time and effort. Um, I usually take them to Goodwill or the Salvation Army. Um, and then, of course, there's organizations that, that just do cash donations like you know UNICEF and things like that. So let's talk about how much their CEOs make and how much you know what they have goes back to um, what they make and what gets donated goes back to them and how much goes back to people. So we're going to start with uh, the modest and work our way to the extreme, uh, just because I, I want to make your eyes roll as hard as possible during this. Um, if you're going to the Salvation Army, if you got some old jeans and some old you know shirts and you take them to the Salvation Army, um, 
they their CEO claimed one year that they only drew about thirteen thousand in compensation annually. That's not true. Um, the Better Business Bureau reported that it was more like one hundred forty thousand. Um, and like most of these donation systems, they file a nine ninety form, which means they don't pay tax. It's basically like a church. So, if we're just talking compensation. 140 for a CEO, uh, 140,000 annually for a CEO. That does not sound extreme to me. That that sounds I mean like you actually I would like your opinion on a lot of these numbers because I know how much crazy wealthy CEOs make, but for the average person, does that sound fair to you? That seems fair. Say it again. Um uh the Salvation Army CEO according to uh, the Better Business Bureau makes about 140000 annually. That seems low to me for CEO money. I mean, I know it is. I know the average CEO in this country from our, our CEO episode makes like $1.2 So, But yeah. it is a, a charity, so I'm guessing that there's a fringe benefits of... There wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be stock involved, would there? There's no stock in that kind of no, thing, No, right? I don't think so. What, what do you think? That, that just seems super I, low to me because it's still a lot of responsibility. Seems, I'm not saying they should make $36,000 a year like someone who just got out of college, you know? Right. <laughs> it's important. Well, that's, that's my metric is is compared to like other writers, tradesmen, artists. Like that, to me, in my world, that actually sounds like a decent salary. But for a CEO, for that large of an organization, that actually seems kind of low. I mean, like I, I hope he's yeah. taking it because he doesn't need the money. Well, and, and to get to that point, how much education they need um, to, to manage that kind of thing, it, it is not as simple. It's not like me handing out apples at the food bank, you know. <laughs> this yeah. is serious corporate structure with, with millions of dollars in the air. And, and I, I, I have nothing but respect for these people. Talk about herding cats. Trying to manage volunteers is not easy because you can't be too mean to them because they're working there for free. So you have to put yeah, up they'll literally little... leave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you kind of have to pump them up and get as much time and space out of them as you can, as we know. Yeah. So we're we're saying Todd and I are weighing in. We're saying that that's too low for a CEO to make. Now let's let's march up the ladder. Let's go to I'm, the March of Dimes. Actually, um, the March of Dimes CEO makes uh, about five hundred thirty thousand per year. Uh, they also file a nine ninety, and according to their taxes. Uh, a quarter of everything donated goes directly back to management. Uh, CEOs, um, you know, they like their their infrastructure. Um, that is actually kind of low. Like, like if seventy five percent of your donations go back to the people and the people you're helping, um, most other charities manage to do about eighty to ninety percent. So, March of Dimes is a good organization. They're doing it for the right cause. Their CEO makes a healthy CEO salary at. 530k um 75 percent of what they make actually makes it back to the people that's we're, pretty good we're gonna drift I, I, yeah i'm happy with that i'm gonna i'm gonna use them as my medium benchmark we're gonna we're gonna put the water line here like we're gonna say this is what we we want to aim for roughly they they could put more back toward the people they don't you know they're taking a little bit more than they need but we're gonna say that's okay um now we get to uh unicef ceo He's making a little bit more, six hundred sixty thousand per year after added compensations, um, added meaning like options, um, vehicles, uh, just whatever comes with that. Um, okay, United Way. Well, the United Way CEO makes uh, one point six six million. So we are getting into territory of, you know, slightly overpaid. <laughs> I'm going to say that if you are working as a charity. Uh, CEO that you probably don't need that much and just for context that the Bank of America CEO today makes about 1.2 million as the base salary so but they're all in compensations about 35 million but their base salaries in that same neighborhood as the United Way person it's actually a little bit less right so actually that is a very perfect example the United Way CEO makes more annually in in salary than the CEO of a bank. So um, now we get into uh, the most corrupt as far as like satellite organization goes. Let's talk CEO of Goodwill. 
Um, Goodwill is huge. They're sprawling. They run basically. Uh, they they turn other people's donations into a store. Um, the Goodwill CEO doesn't make as much as United Way. They make seven hundred fifty thousand a year. Um, however, the way they spend their money and the way they help people is highly suspect and questionable in a lot of different regions. Um, they spend eighty percent of their revenue on creating jobs. So so they claim that they they reach that goal most charities should where you know 80% of what they get they gets donated to them should go back to the people they're helping however they have such a nebulous sort of mission statement their mission statement is they help uh jobs and training for those who need it uh oftentimes disabled so usually that you know like if you're just if you're out of the good nature of your heart training people for jobs like you're taking people off the street who normally wouldn't have the education training them to run an excel sheet or you know uh build something or be an electrician whatever and then sending them to the workforce that would be an extraordinarily noble cause goodwill also counts their own employees as part of this so they will oftentimes campaign and say that you know, they're creating jobs for the underprivileged, but those jobs oftentimes mean people who are making minimum wage and are disabled in their stores. Yeah. The, line, so they, the, line's, they, yeah, and it's, the line's kind of blurry yeah. here, right? It's not what... Exactly. <laughs> it's not as advertised. It's not, like um, TV, it's not like their TV commercial show. Not even close. Yeah. And if you think that I am being vague about their mission statement because I'm trying to incriminate them... Goodwill themselves have campaigned against raising minimum wages, oftentimes because they want to keep their minimum wage workers lower so they can afford them. So, like, Goodwill acts like, by by their actions, it seems like they are trying to keep their overhead low so they can still count the charitable donations that they use to pay their own employees as charitable. Like, that. that's kind of like if... Like if I was running a car wash and I said that every time you come to my car wash and wash your car, all that money is going back to charity. But the charity is I'm paying my employees. <laughs> if the charity right. is you are yeah, paying your people adequately, that's not a charity. You're just running a business. It's brilliant. And then not to mention they get all their inventories, give it to them as well for, to sell. <laughs> exactly. They don't want to pay for a goddamn thing, Joe. <laughs> they don't want to pay for anything. Right. <laughs> Why should my, my charity is you put, <laughs> yeah, my charity is you give things to my business so it keeps running. That's my damn charity. <laughs> but it and gets, pay, it gets more. And, and give some money and we'll pay for the employees, you know. Yeah. Come on. Right. People. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets worse. Like it's it's not just if if it was only they campaign against minimum wage uh, to keep their overhead low and to keep those charities coming, that would be one thing. That that would be um, questionable and and upsetting. Um, here's a they will use loopholes to keep paying their own people less. So those quote unquote underprivileged and disabled people that they give jobs. We've all seen the Goodwill commercials where it shows like somebody who is um, developmentally challenged or, or physically disabled, and it, it shows the commercial of like they're working, they finally have a job, they're so proud, they're wearing the Goodwill apron, you know, they're, they're happy that they're employed. Now think of that, except them getting 22 cents an hour, because that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. They found a loophole in a law in Pennsylvania it's called Section 14C of the Fair Labor and Standards Act. This allowed them uh, in Pennsylvania to pay goodwill workers who were not fully able. Like, like it's it's if you if you can justify in Pennsylvania that somebody is not fully able to um, operate or do their job, and you're still going to pay them, you can pay them what's called quote unquote sub minimal wage. I'm not making that up. Sub minimal wage just sounds like a terrible thing. Yeah, it sounds evil. Subminimal wage. Good goodwill in Pennsylvania was caught paying some of their disabled workers twenty two cents an hour, thirty eight cents an hour, and forty one cents an hour. And that wasn't like forty years ago. Yeah. That was in twenty eleven. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that terrible? 
and then and then you get that well and then their whole thing is just you know they're giving them an opportunity and oh well good for them and this and that but it's like they're not trying to see people up either they're just trying to keep people even they're not trying to get them to the next level. you know 20 how much right. can you better your life at 28 cents an hour right i mean that almost seems, that almost seems that almost seems predatory to me like, like oh it absolutely does it's it's send us your disabled people. We will turn them into a robot that helps us run our donation factory. And then we will claim that it's part of our charity system. Like we'll get tax exemption for for using these people like robots in our factory. <laughs> that is like like across the board. That whole system just is not just evil. That's like dystopian. That that is some 1984 garbage that I cannot believe happened. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, that law. Uh, paying disabled people subminimal wages. Uh, that is an old law. They they had to dig into the books to find that one. That was like a 75-year-old law. But I'm, I'm just envisioning 15 attorneys and paralegals working on this all at salaries over $100,000. <laughs> Figuring out right. how, how to pray that they work for a charity. They're, 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 you know, it's on their business cards, and it's part, they get the social status for that, and they're, they're down there trying to whittle down a piece of wood to pay someone who's in a wheelchair or has health issues 28 cents an hour it's, it's criminal right it's criminal yeah just imagine a lawyer in an office holding up like an old crumbling piece of parchment i know that they weren't using parchment you know uh 75 years ago but but in my imagination they're just holding <laughs> up this very very old law and they're just like yep if we you know campaign hard enough and pay the right people we can we can do this. We can we can reach that brass ring and we can pay our disabled people twenty cents an hour. So, um, <laughs> uh, by the way, I don't want to end on uh, the podcast on such an extraordinarily downer note. I just wanted to shock you. Um, if we're talking about helpers high, I just wanted to point out that not all helping is equal, obviously, and the more sort of thought you give into the help you give. I mean, we've we've talked about during our Olympics episodes, like we we just re-aired those and we talked about how much a difference it makes giving directly to the people who are doing the sport instead of giving it to the sport itself. Don't buy, you know, garbage from the Olympics. Don't buy their mascots and their their banners and their their, you know, stuffed animals. Go donate that money to the athletes directly they're making so much less money than they should. They're, they're making less than minimum wage per year to do their sport. Same thing applies for charities and donations. Like, you don't go just drop off your old shoes to Goodwill because you're probably going to be helping an organization that really doesn't need your help. Instead, give directly to the people who need it. Pull a Todd. Like, like go get that helper's high yourself and go donate to a soup kitchen and then work it for a while if you have the time. If you don't, that's fine. If you just or if you just research the organization and donate to them regularly, that is a lot. That is so much more than they may otherwise get if everyone just stays complacent and, and donates a dollar at the end of the cash register, regardless of what it's about. I want to tell you one of the most beautiful miracles I've seen in my in my days. Um, I was working. I was volunteering at the Humane Society in South Seattle. And being having a sales background, um, they had me go do the PetSmart adoption events. And being a salesperson, I got a process, right, where I would see people. Like I'd see you and your fiancé with a certain kind of dog. And I'd walk up to you. And, and there's one time, that, if we had a similar dog that was up for adoption, I'd, I'd set up the dogs. And so I saw this guy, and he was, he was either, I forget which biker gang it was, either the Hells Angels or the banditos he had his jacket on and he has his old lady with him right she had all the leather stuff on they're tough rough looking and they had this small right. dog this little chihuahua thing little ugly little dog with them right <laughs> which i thought looked funny with this big biker and his you know cliche looking uh, couple so we had a similar dog named alice so i brought the dog over to them and uh, the man barked at me we're not getting more fucking dogs i said i know i know i just wanted to introduce you to alice here and uh, they petted, petted Alice, and then they left. Well, a few hours back, hours later, they came back. And that big, tough biker guy looked at me and asked if Alice was still there. And I handed him Alice, and he said, <laughs> I can't leave this dog alone. And he started to tear up. <laughs> 
and I thought, huh, this, this is why I do this. It was still to this day the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. This big tough guy crying over this little adopted dog. Would you trade that experience for rounding up to the nearest dollar at the cashier's register? <laughs> You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredyou.com. That's where we have show notes, links, and information for every episode we put out. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything. 